0: This is the EWN Podcast Network. Everybody wants to win. It's how we define success in life. Michelle Nagel explores resilience, teaches you happiness hacks, and provides tools for building positive relationships, all of which are essential for winning at the game of life. Join us to learn how to roar. Welcome to Roar to Win. This is Michelle Nagel, your host. And we are talking today with our expert, our guest expert, Amber Ward of Life Unlimited. And Amber Ward is a transformational mentor whose unique gift is matching people's energy with their mission. Using a holistic approach to wellness and well being, she draws upon ancient wisdoms, neuroscience, and new technologies, sharing the art and science of understanding your energetic intelligence. In her practice, Life Unlimited, she guides people to integrate proven tools in the day to day through the framework of her optimized self program. As a credentialed practitioner in coaching, Amber's colorful career also includes a bachelor's degree in design and visual arts, where she ran a successful cradle-to-cradle design practice that was informed by her love of all things mindful, minimal, functional, and healthy for people and the planet, a philosophy that continues to run through her wellness practice today. Amber's been a meditator since her early teens and believes a well-being toolkit is an ever-evolving abundance of resources that should be put to use each day. She loves exploring most things biohacking, consciousness hacking, and being an unashamed self-love queen who will happily teach you how to be your own cheerleader. So Amber, I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me, Michelle. So that's quite a varied approach. You're looking at a bachelor's degree in design and visual arts, but you also do neuroscience and, um, and um, the energetic intelligence and the new technologies. What can you tell us about that? How does, how does all that mesh together?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, I guess uh, the thing that I've always said is when you're creative, you learn to problem solve and to come up with solutions, and we draw from many sources Um, through our creative energy so with that it also from my perspective has um, a well-informed research component which led to I guess my inquiry of the mind and my my independent research into neuroscience and how that affects our well-being for example how we're able to Rewire our mind and and how meditation mindfulness practice as well as our physiology affects our psychology and and how this um, great I guess intermingling of everything that makes up our quantum energy comes together and so they're never a, a singular thing it's actually a very complex uh, ecosystem I guess of how we're made up in our own little universes
0: yeah so it's really not all about having symptoms it's we don't compartmentalize our bodies and our environment it's all part of the same thing so i'm really excited to talk to you about um because of mindfulness and all of that and how um that's a big buzzword transformation mindfulness and everything so it'll be really interesting to get your uh point of view on that um mm-hmm. i support you in that by the way so it's not i'm not going to the saying that it's out like totally in outer space and what I love about it is it was firmly it was firmly in woo-woo land and outer space land there for a long time and now there's actual science behind it and I always Mm. love it when science is finally smart enough to catch up to what the body and the brain already knows so yeah
1: (laughs) precisely and I think that's a really important thing is that I love science but in actual fact a lot of the time it's science catching up and, and us being able to you know, um, being able to measure and, and monitor those things and also the people, the researchers taking the care to make that a priority and, and put their funding resources into that because um, some people in the past haven't been interested. As you said, they thought it's uh, the woo-woo. And, um, yeah, science is really sometimes catching up, but I love it nonetheless because it's showing us the evidence and it helps people to embrace it as a reality.
0: Yes, it's it's kind of gotten to the point now of where the people who need to have proof, I guess, are getting the proof that they need, and the people who didn't need the proof are living more, uh, more according to their heart, which is a much better place to embrace the world from, because when you're living from your head, you miss out on everything else, so it's yeah. really... The embodiment that we're now, that people are now beginning to embrace is really wonderful. So when we first talked, um, I, we were talking about that the podcast name is ROAR, which stands for Resilience, Optimism, Accountability, and Resourcefulness. Yeah. And I said, which one does resonate with you? And you said, all of them do. <laughs> so um, so how, how can we integrate that and create and explore how that really works from your point of view? Mm,
1: absolutely. Look, I think I see those things as, again, they, they can't be separated from each other to be fully um, functional for our benefit. So resilience, if we used an example of, I could use a, an example of a time in my life where I really had to draw upon my resilience in a time of struggle that actually really led to me seeing that energetic intelligence was a tool and something that I really had expertise in to be able to share with others because I'd um, immersed myself so deeply in it. But that was really, um, came from a need for resilience and um, that's in terms of emotional resilience and my the resilience of my mindset and also my physical resilience. So I had a time where um, I was challenged by post-viral adrenal fatigue and at the time I also had two consecutive and different um, instances of grief that had come into my world through loss. So it really felt like I was just hit by a, a huge tsunami and during that time, my initially my key goal the the thing that I needed to do to to go from survival back into thriving was to build my resilience Mm -hmm. and in order to do that I really had to go into a very introspective space Um, firstly because I didn't have the physical energy to actually be elsewhere and I knew that it was a time where I really had to give to myself um, and and was unable to um, to give to others. It wasn't the time to give to others. So the resilience and the need for resilience came from looking at what do I need to do for myself right now to build my immunity, to rebuild my emotional strength. And also, um, what do I need to not do? So in those times as well, Of deep grief, I was actually shown that joy and beauty and optimism can come from times where you wouldn't necessarily think it was at all possible in that really introspective space when you're able to reach a place of deep love and self-care. You can actually experience incredible moments of joy and peace and harmony and and seeing the world from from a different place. Mm -hmm. So... And of course then with that I'm just going to keep go- going down this path then you've got accountability because ultimately you know I was the person responsible for that I was the person responsible for my health and seeing the paths that I was going to take and the different practitioners that I was going to engage with to to reclaim my optimized self I also took accountability in terms of taking a risk to step away from things and say hey you know the world can do without me for now, yes. um, I, I actually just, this is my journey and, and I'm responsible for that. And there is no pushing through. Pushing through wasn't an option, it was far beyond that. So it's taking that accountability um, for, you know, saying to even the people closest to me, I'm, I'm here, um, you know, we can connect when we can. But for example, I'm going to, I'm taking a complete break from social media because I just find that draining on my energy. So really taking accountability on every level to look at what is and what isn't useful for me and for my values and my purpose of what I'm actually doing
0: um, at this time. And And what kind when you did that? What did I find?
1: Yes. I, found, I found actually that it actually does lead literally into resourcefulness is that I found that what that affirmed for me is the tools that I've been using over the years really came into practice. So, for example, um, my practice in compassion and present moment awareness, I could have in that instance thought, hey, I'm a wellness coach, I can't. Get sick or be seen to get sick, and you know, have a negative downplay on on that. Whereas, I think I literally had a split second of the ah, uh, meaning I should have known, could have known better, or foreseen that my um, my energy was going to reach this state through what was happening with my health and the and the other things that were happening emotionally. But I didn't. I actually just caught that literally in a split second, and was like, I'm not going down that path. It's not even relevant Um, i'm doing the best i can for myself and this is actually just part of the journey of life so a lot of people that i work with when we first start working together for example they're really struggling with the mindset of um almost self-sabotage or taking on the guilt self-guilt whereas i'd really acknowledged in that moment that I've come to a place where I actually don't do self-criticism that, um, and that, that's, amazing. that's a, a big place to come from and that's from years of really using those tools in the day-to-day so that's when I say you know when your back's against the wall you can really see um, how you live and breathe something Um, That was really beautiful in terms of resourcefulness and drawing on those tools, but also seeing how they had naturally brought me to this place.
0: Well, that's an amazing and wonderful story. Thank you for sharing it with us. Um, So what would you say when somebody just says, you know, suck it up, buttercup?
1: Sure. I um, I think in that moment, I think this is particularly important for women is that there are moments where it is relevant in terms of resilience, both resilience and accountability to carry on and push through with something if you're committed to something. But when in those moments when it's not beneficial to you, I think we really have to tune into our feminine energy and ask is does this feel right for me right now does it how does this feel in terms of my energy so when i'm speaking about energy i'm talking about our mental energy does this feel clear to me or do i feel like i can um i can be resourceful in terms of moving through this or energetically in terms of my mind right now do i actually need to take a break in Uh terms of yeah, in terms of my physical energy, is my physical body actually telling me that I need to stop right now and that I can actually move forward with greater momentum if I just take some time out, whether that time out is 20 minutes or whether that time out is a weekend?
0: Mm-hmm. Well,
1: sometimes, no. yeah,
0: sometimes that you specify a certain time limit because there are some times that we've got things that we have to get done and we have to get them done now. But yeah. if, if we give ourselves time to say, "This is what I'm doing right now," and when I finish with that, I'm going to take half an hour to have a meltdown or whatever. But yeah. it's really important to feel the emotions and to, and to do the processing. Otherwise, yes. otherwise we end up unhealthy. We end up having problems.
1: Yes, and it is and it is also relevant sometimes to give ourselves a little kick. And say, "Oh, no, this is where I'm at right now. I need to finish it." However, I have a tool here that I can use within three deep breaths, and everyone has time for three deep breaths. Yes. So that would be the moments where it's like, "No, I'm in this, and I'm going to use the tools that I've got to regain my calm and focus." I know what happens to my chemical state. When I do that, in terms of being able to move from a sympathetic state to a parasympathetic state using breath work, and that's what we do in that moment is just take those three breaths.
0: Yes, and I knew an old gentleman many years ago, and the thing that he used to always say to people was, none of us ever breathe deeply enough. And on our regular daily, day-to-day basis, we don't take the time to actually get that deep breath. So what happens to your breath when you're stressed and you're fearful and you're anxious? What happens to that breath? Sure,
1: so people will notice and you could actually, everyone could within this conversation right now, just become aware of where you're breathing. Are we breathing, are you breathing into your chest or are you breathing down into your belly? Mm -hmm. And so for a lot of people, their default will be breathing into their chest area, which is a shallower breath. And what happens when we breathe into our chest area is we're actually increasing the release of cortisol, which is a stress hormone. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: When we breathe deep into our belly, we're activating our parasympathetic nervous state. We're reducing our stress hormones. So that's why it's really important whenever we can to remind ourselves until it becomes a more natural state for us to just breathe deep into our belly. So um, box breathing, for example, or diaphragmatic breathing is an excellent tool for just starting from deep in the belly but keeping it there and breathing in for a count of four, holding it for a count of four, releasing it for four and holding it. And that is an excellent way to actually... Um, activate the parasympathetic nervous system and reduce your stress hormones.
0: Yes, you keep talking about the sympathetic and the parasympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system. Yes. That's, that's part of the autonomic nervous system. But um, can you explain to people how those work, please?
1: Sure. So what we know as fight or flight response mode, mm-hmm and where that is activated in the brain. So that's our, um, our primal sense of when we're in danger. And, you know, we hear people often today talking about that in terms of when we needed to be aware of the saber-toothed tiger and the fact that we don't have to be so concerned about that today. But we still do have um, things that we need to be aware of um, in terms of our sympathetic state being helpful for us Um, as to whether we might be in danger, whether that's, you know, when we're crossing the street or if we're walking past a laneway at night and whether we should take that path or not. Um, When we enter our uh, sympathetic state and we're activating the prefrontal cortex part of the brain, we're also activating um, uh, the parts of our brain that relate to compassion and empathy and... Kindness and gratitude, and all of these things that also collectively we know increase our sense of well being and our connection with others, which is actually the key thing to happiness in terms of humans is our connection with others. So, the more we're able to develop that within ourselves and our personal state, and then extend that beyond ourselves to the way we relate and interrelate with others has a, a huge impact on our well-being.
0: Thank you very much for that explanation. Um, I am uh, certified in heart math, and that is um, the, the thing that I find most fascinating about that is that there is um, <laughs> cardio cardioneurology or, neuro, or neurocardiology. I always get them backwards anyway, but they've discovered that the same neurons that are in our brain are also in our heart and our heart actually develops in, in utero before our brain does. It's mm-hmm. the first thing that starts functioning. So um, another way that for people who are listening that, that the uh, sympathetic and the parasympathetic is we do think about the sympathetic brain is the reptilian brain. That is the one that makes us fight or flight. But the, the cool thing is, is that the information from the brain goes down the back through the spine and 80% of the information goes down and only 20% of the information from the body goes back up to the head. But with the parasympathetic, it goes up through the vagus nerves in the front of the body and it goes from the body to the brain. So we're gaining all that information from our body, which is why we're, and and, uh, let me go back on that. And so, but the majority of the information stops in our heart first. So if we are thinking with our head, thinking a problem, When we talk about mindfulness, Mm, is that... Present moment awareness. Mm
1: -hmm. So the term mindfulness is actually one that I don't necessarily use so frequently within my practice anymore because I think it has become loaded or uh, has a certain bias toward it. And Mm -hmm. so to speak to your question specifically, from my personal experience and my um, personal philosophy, I think that present moment awareness actually has a lot less to do with the mind and a lot more to do with the heart.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, and, and I'm very fascinated in heart math and I would love to explore it more. I think the the concept of mindfulness and it being in, in terms of our awareness is that people are actually um, using their awareness to monitor what's happening in each moment, say with a body scan exercise. But it is, that in itself, I feel, is a very mind-based practice more than a heart-based practice. Mm-hmm. When you're actually doing a body scan, it is very in the head in terms of your observational state rather than it being necessarily a feeling state. Mm-hmm. So I think that different aspects of meditation or mindful awareness um, can lead us into the heart space and when we're talking about the vagus nerve for example the very simple thing is that when we smile deep and we get the, the beautiful creases into our eyes that actually activates the vagus nerve which does go uh, all the way through down to, to the gut and um, activates the parasympathetic nervous system and we all know how good we feel when we smile but I really feel like that is coming from the heart space and it's, it's showing our uh, our sense of joy to the world really. So I don't think or well, thinking, I, I don't actually yeah, it's an interesting thing the way the heart and the mind play because I'm very much really the core of my work, if I had to strip it right down to the key thing, is really about love. And love doesn't come from the mind. No, so it we talk about science also and oh, but that, that that that's not been scientifically proven or we don't have the research yet on A, B, and C. And it's like, have you ever felt a sense of love?
0: Actually it is. It has been proven. Dr. Really Roland, Roland McCready has done studies on it and it has been proven. So it's, yeah. it's really, so you're re- really not talking about mindfulness. My, excuse me, I can't even talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not talking about mindfulness as much as you really are talking about embodiment. You're using um, our entire, your entire body as a mechanism to gather information to improve your life. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. So really my work works across the whole mind, body, spirit and the conscious awareness and, and our conscious creation and how we co-create together. And as with the raw model that we, we spoke of um, being integrated, uh, they really are not separable in terms of the way um, we best approach our life from an optimised perspective, we can look at a symptom and, and see whether it's coming from a mind-based or, or a spirit-based place. But really these things all play from each other, the way we we eat, our nutrition. We know that our serotonin production comes from the gut. People think that our serotonin is all driven from the brain. And again, research is showing us the importance of what we eat and our microbiome and how that actually affects our mental health. Right. So, uh, again, how we move, how we sit, you know, if we sit for a long time in a slouched position, what that actually does to our chemical state in terms of how we feel and how that affects our psychology In as opposed to, you know, if we're sitting in an empowered state. Amy Cuddy's has done um, a lot of uh, talks around uh, power and and how that actually makes us feel in terms of our physiology and our psychology. And then mindful awareness or mindfulness is really being aware of all of those things. So if we're feeling a particular Um, emotion or a particular response to something, actually being aware of what are the influences that are impacting that right now. Is it my environment? Is it the fact that I haven't eaten well enough? Is it the fact that I'm hormonal? Is it the fact that I just had a, a negative... Um, bias towards something and I could actually reframe that differently and I'm empowered to do that without emotionally bypassing but actually really being aware of um, mindfully in the the context of that in a holistic way of how those things influence and play with each other and the more we integrate tools into our day-to-day the more we can see the things that benefit or that we're not doing that we might need to do that influence each of those things.
0: Thank you. We're going to take a short break right now and then we'll be right back with Amber Ward, who's uh, uh, the transformational mentor of Life Unlimited. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Michelle at Roar to Win. And our guest today is Amber Ward of Life Unlimited, who's a mentor whose unique gift is matching people's energy with their mission. And she uses a holistic approach to do this. So, Amber, a lot of people take a look at, at emotions and they, they say that there are bad emotions and good emotions. Do you have an opinion on that? I think that all of them
1: are excellent flags for telling us what it is that we are actually wanting or needing to do at a given time so if we're talking about a stereotypically um, framed bad emotion as being anger or sadness no i don't think those things are bad i think they're actually very powerful tools for us to look at what it is that we actually need to do for ourselves at that given time
0: so it 's kind of a, a barometer that lets you know what 's going on in your internal and external wor- internal world so it 's another it 's a tool too even so i 'm angry i 'm really angry well isn 't that interesting? why you know I think that um, that 's one of the most powerful things that people can learn is that there are no good emotions and bad emotions they have different vibrational qualities obviously. Absolutely when we feel love and gratitude and appreciation, we certainly feel a lot better than we do when we're feeling all that, you know, anger and all that. But um, it's really important for people to understand that it is just something to get their attention. But you've mentioned that being your own cheerleader is really important. Can you share what led you to that concept and and why you teach people that? Yeah, sure. So I actually um, realized that when I was in the the midst of that little,
1: um, period of introspective healing that I shared with you earlier, and I I was seeing a lot of people as I started to sort of come back online, say, and engage with social media, I actually noticed a few people um, in my world who'd been um, struggling in their own ways, but perhaps rather than be taking the introspective path, they were... Um, reaching out and through that, I could see how at times perhaps when it wasn't best for them to be um, looking for external factors to boost them, they were actually using a lot of energy to try and receive energy. Now that also depends, of course, on different people's needs. We all have different needs in terms of our core behaviours, but also as to whether we're an introverted or extroverted Uh, personality, for example, I'm very much a a, a social introvert. So I need my, my introspective time is very important to me and my processing space. So it was easier for me to do that. Mm -hmm. And I started to um, really realize how much energy I could conserve in that time that I needed by going inward and the beauty of actually being able to sit back and say, "Hmm, you know what, in a non-arrogant way, I'm a pretty great person for these reasons and just really appreciate myself rather than feeling like, oh, I'm in this really introspective healing time and I haven't had a lot of social contact and I'm feeling really needy to be validated by other people right now there was very much a beauty in being able to sit back and just say, I'm really, you know, happy. I'm happy with my company and I'm happy with all of the different things that I offer myself and others. And it really is that deep level of self-love. And the reason why I think being your own cheerleader is so important is even if it's just on a daily basis. And we have people around us, for example, even though we know increasingly people are spending more time either living on their own, living in environments where we don't always have other people around us. And even for those of us who do, we hear a lot of people who cohabit saying that they feel a sense of loneliness. And it might be in the middle of your day or the middle of the night, we don't always have somebody else beside us to be validating us or telling us how wonderful we are. So to be able to really feel that sense of, hey, you know what, I'm doing my best in this world and I'm making a contribution and I'm feeling a sense of joy. I'm actually a pretty great person. I feel like I'm making a contribution. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really important um, space to come from.
0: And that's a challenging one, I think, because we're always taught not uh, not to be selfish or to be conceited. And so we have a tendency to think that taking care of ourself is selfish.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that's actually, it's a responsibility and it's something that we need to be accountable for because when we're not, we're actually seeking it then from others. And we can't truly give to others until really it comes back to having a full cup or a, a cup that's spilling over. We can't really truly share with others until we've actually done so for ourselves.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Thank you. So have you always been an optimist?
1: I think by default, yes, I was born the, uh, I was my one of my first childhood memories was um, going into the living room where my parents had guests and I optimistically went to my dad with my hands cupped and said, look, daddy, and I pulled the uh, very first orchids that he'd been growing in the hothouse, the flowers off. Oh no. <laughs> so he, uh, he wasn't so happy. But look, I, I, I also grew up in quite a challenging environment, which I think um, really realistically many of us did. And, um, uh, you know, there was a lot of disharmony in terms of emotional disharmony. And part of me always felt like I was the light and another part of me um, felt like I just wanted to, to run away and especially being an empath and, you know, highly intuitive, um, it was a very intense energy for me to be around. So as soon as I was really old enough to start making decisions for myself or think about making decisions about my environment, I really took on an approach of, well, if you're not happy, why don't you do something about it? Like, why are people living unhappily? Why are people in relationships that they're not happy in? You actually have the power to do something about it. So I think that given the circumstances um, uh, environmentally and, and the emotional conditions that I was in at the time, whilst my parents, they were doing the best with what they had, um, is that... There's something that was inherently the optimist in me to see another way and um, something probably in terms of courage as well, which I think people who have courage, optimism certainly I think plays a part in that and that was just removing myself from that environment as soon as I was able to at a pretty young age to go and create the world that I wanted to, to live in.
0: Okay, so um, how did you overcome? I imagine that that even though you were, were optimistic and you were seeking a better life and a different way of, of doing things, if mm-hmm. you did have a challenging childhood, you probably had some pretty messy emotions in there too.
1: Absolutely, and it was not always uh, an easy ride for me. So whilst I started meditating from... A very young age in my early teens. Um, I moved out of home when I was 17 and I really found that a huge roller coaster navigating everything that was happening at the time. Um, the first two books that I remember reading in terms of personal development was Living in the Light by Shakti Gawain and The Road Less Travelled by M. Scott Peck. And at the time, Reading *The Road Less Traveled*, having moved out of home as a seventeen-year-old, and you know, reading about the relationship between your parents, um, navigating on that on my own was very difficult at the time. There, you know, having a, a life coach or a mentor um, that just wasn't commonplace at all. So, at the time, I guess I I reached into my spiritual nature as much as. I could, but I also went through some really dark times in terms of depression and anxiety and and really um, retreating further than what I had previously, you know, further than my normal introspection. So navigating that wasn't an easy journey. Mm -hmm. And I moved into working in the music industry for a little time uh, in the mid '90s, and of course, um, you know that was they were they were pretty wild times, um, and that again was probably reaching for things and and went to this external reaching place for my happiness. And it was soon after that time that I realized, you know, this is a pretty unhealthy path to go down, and really returned to. What I feel is my greatest blessing in being given from my parents, and particularly my mum, was that we were brought up in a very natural environment in terms of food and our health and well being, and really taking charge of that. So, you know, as soon as things kind of hit rocky roads for me, there was something which I don't know what that angelic presence or that spiritual counsel. Is that saved me at the time, but kind of pulled me out of that uh, darkness and, and took me back down my path into um, into well-being and, and holistic wellness.
0: So you have definitely already traveled the road that you are helping your clients um, navigate.
1: Mm, absolutely, yes. And, and really the, the, the last key for that actually was the, the hardest part, which was the grief component that I spoke about. Mm -hmm. um earlier which was more recent and that's just something that i'd managed to luckily in one sense well i thought um i had um kind of skimmed across that and and you know when it hits you but it takes you to some you know very to some depths that you don't know how to navigate until you're actually there and they're not that you can't control them no amount of all of the, we can use all of the tools we have to nurture our well being, but in terms of what's going to happen next, we don't know. So you really have to embrace adaptability uh, in that time. But it was actually more recently that I realised, you know, these things continue to surface in our lives. We're constantly evolving. Yes. And I realised, you know, I always was carrying this sense of grief. Where did that come from? And it goes right back to, um, the fact that I was born on the day of my dad's father's funeral. Oh, my god. And I goodness. was really able to pinpoint, you know, it, I, I'd always been curious about it and thought, wow, that's just such a, an intense thing in a way and had kind of thought about the different positions of, you know, my mom and my dad and myself around that. But then actually was like, ah, that's what this sense of grief is that I'd always carried and because i've been doing some ancestral work this year it's like you know what a lot of that's not mine
0: no so now i definitely carried that in your dna yeah oh wow okay so when you help other people understand and master their energetic intelligence what are some of the key things that you think that stop people from being resilient and and from for women in particular what is unique to women
1: hmm sure so I think some of the key things that actually stop our resilience is really when we look at negativity bias, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with the work of Rick Hansen, but he's brought to light this negativity bias that is inherent and it does go back to uh, you know our primal time of you know the carrot or the stick. Do I go for the carrot or do I avoid the stick? Right. Um, and now we're in a position where for... Uh, day-to-day as conscious creators we can go for the carrot you know it's okay <laughs> we're not for the most part going to die if we go for the carrot or we go for the um if we go for the gold so i've just actually gone off my train of thought there
0: to be perfectly <laughs> honest, <laughs> you're talking about what are the key things that stop people from being resilient and how is how do women have some unique things about that
1: Perfect, thank you. So where I was going with that is that we're so used to what we now know is our negativity bias that when that we, people go back to the comfort of the way and as they often move forward, as soon as they come up to a little bump along the path, rather than continuing to use the tools, they'll go back to what they know as the comfort, which is actually the pain. And it's generally the negative side. So in my practice, I very much um, work on values-based tools. And so it's always bringing people back to this values star that we create and whether they're remaining above or below the line in their thinking. And once people can really master staying at cause of what's happening in their lives, staying above the line, then they can get those hurdles initially people will want to go back. It's kind of like two steps forward and maybe one step back. So it's really about continuing to retrain the brain, to rewire us, to feel it. How does it make you feel when you make that choice? Well, initially it might make me feel comfortable, but actually I don't feel good because I'm going back to the place that I didn't want to be in. So it's about
0: yeah so it's it's really that's a really difficult thing when you're in the midst of a challenge that that stepping back and forth that you're talking about change is just so hard it just really is and if you've got you know you've got your entire lifetime of thinking on that negative bias of looking for um the the bad things to happen before we look for the, before we're optimistic and believe that the universe is going to do something good for us. Mm. It really is a difficult thing to break the habit of, especially if it's generational. Mm, Yes.
1: That's a really important one. So starting to look at ourselves and then starting to understand our generational influences and our ancestry and for women particularly to, to speak to your question earlier, um, It's about really tuning in to our intuition. And, of course, for men, intuition is important as well. But for women to be in the being space and for women to look at um, working with our ancestral influences and taking responsibility, and ultimately this is what it is, uh, is people embracing the fact that the universe isn't going to provide for them. They are the universe. They're part of the universe. This is a co-creation. This is if we're, we're going to sit back and wait to be gifted something, it's not going to happen. We're actually a part of what we're creating. And that takes responsibility to do that and accountability. And so the idea of manifesting and the idea of creating our own reality is great. But when a lot of people come to, oh, hang on, I'm responsible for this. I'm a part of it. And I also need to be able to navigate between creation and allowance Mm -hmm. and be patient with that and learn that, then, you know, that is the key. But in terms of healing right now where we are, um, you know, this is a really special time. On the planet, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of people feeling the energies, and there's a lot of tension and shift happening with that as well. But for um, for women to take on the responsibility to say, you know what, this healing starts now. This generational healing starts with me, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do the work. Is a really powerful and beautiful thing. And there are some incredible people out there with the tools to help people navigate that journey.
0: Yes, absolutely. And we don't have to be obnoxious about it either because it, uh, the only way that we can really heal it is by coming from a place of love. It, absolutely. It, our generations, the people behind us, are we've got their genetic material running through our body. And if we uh, respond in a way full of hatred, then we are not honoring them. So it's, it's something that's part of self-love as well. You know, mm-hmm. um, our ancestors are go back for your, your mother, your grandmother, your great-grandmother. They may have made a choice that makes your life rather painful at the moment, but they were just doing the best that they could. And if Absolutely. We can, and if we can cut people some slack, do you think that makes any difference?
1: Absolutely. I think that's imperative. It's about being the best person what I mean by that isn't in a competitive sense. It's about being the best person we can be and understanding that as the generations have evolved, um, our emotional intelligence evolves and our heart intelligence evolves. And we also have been some incredibly wise elders for the most part in mainstream society. Um, Just the generation before me weren't given the emotional intelligence tools. So as we evolve... Rather than blaming the people before us, we need to be thankful and we also need to see that they have inherited traits that weren't necessarily beneficial for them and that they were doing their very best. So I've done some work, for example, um, with my mum where the energy shifted and she didn't even need to know about it and it's incredible. How just doing an exercise, which was led uh, through a a workshop that I did with um, a shamanic teacher and we sat and we did an exercise where we, um, we gave back, we spoke to our mothers and we gave back what we didn't want, what wasn't ours, what we didn't own and we acknowledged it in a not a blaming way. Mm-hmm. And the power of doing that and doing that in a loving sense and then giving it back and saying, I don't own that and being able to do that through our practices where, um, where it might come up in a meditative practice for me where the, I'm not expecting that that's the thing that's actually speaking. But if I really go beyond the self and into this broader consciousness and into my counsel that's available to me on a much higher level of wisdom and realise, oh, there's something to be cleared there, what is it, and just listen to to what that is and trust that and and be brave enough to go with it and not think that it's woo-woo, to really go there and see what it is. The result can be extraordinary in terms of clearing. So I think a lot of people until they actually embrace this kind of work can be afraid of it because it feels like it's going to be big and it's going to be heavy and it doesn't always need to be. So the actual act of clearing can be very quick. Mm -hmm. Often the standing on the edge, it's like, um, well, I speak to a lot of creatives, so when we're in pre-creative tension, the thing of just standing on the edge, but once you're over the edge, it's actually a beautiful space to be.
0: So yeah, I've I spend so much time being afraid and hanging out there and, and prolonging the agony rather than just stepping through it and moving on. Yeah. Cause it really, and, we do have to go, we do have to go through these things, not, not park on the edge of them or park in the middle of them. We need to move through them.
1: Mm, exactly. And to be able to let, to be able to release that heaviness, you know, mm. you can feel it and, and, uh, These things are really things that need to be experienced. The things that can't be measured, I can only speak of it from my own experience and gift people the tools where something's problematic in their life to say, well, this is what I'm offering right now that I think is going to be of most benefit to you. Are you willing to give it a go? And they're like, yes. And the results speak for themselves. Mm. So you know, we can, we can hold on to the pain or we can choose to release it and it's
0: 100% within our power. Yes, and it, it does seem like we're, we're in the pain, it hurts like heck, but it's familiar. Mm. And, and moving out of the pain, while um, I guess intellectually it may seem like it would be kind of fun, it might be a good thing to do, it's scary to make that move. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So your work has a spiritual aspect to it because you help connect people with themselves and others around them as well as higher consciousness, but you have a practical approach that's very grounded in science. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. So that really goes
1: back to, say, day-to-day tools like um, understanding negativity bias, for example, and mm-hmm. people understanding how the neural pathways work, uh, how breath work uh, at works in terms of the science of that, that we spoke about before. So many of us will have a, a yoga or a breath work practice, and these are ancient practices. And now we have the science to actually tell us what it is um, that, that that's actually doing on a physiological um, level. So for example, using meditation, meditation in itself can have so many tools um, that are available to us at any time. And I often hear people say, I've tried meditating and it doesn't work for me. And so what sort of meditation did you try? You know, we know that there are tools in visualisation and that can be used for just the most beautiful, relaxing experience, right, down to athletes and high performers using that to actually get them to reach their goals. And we can use these in the day-to-day. We can use these tools when we're standing in front of an audience we can use these tools when we're about to go on stage. We can use these tools when we're in transport, in transit or at the airport, for example, and shifting that experience that can be very intense for a lot of people and add extra stress onto what they're doing to actually enter a state that we're in control of and so, Meditation, for example, is so broad in terms of how we can use that in the day-to-day and that's really what I work with is breaking it down depending on each person's needs, their lifestyle, what it is that they're working towards and the individual situation that they find themselves in and giving them the tools and an entire toolbox to draw from what is it that would be beneficial to my state right now and to actually make this a more enjoyable moment or to reduce stress whatever it is that they actually need to do at the
0: time yeah and it's really wonderful that there are so many different tools because not everything works for every person and so if you find something like you said somebody says oh meditation doesn't work for me well which form as you said did they try if that one didn't work try another one uh try you know Doing the breath work while you're meditating and joining them together, or try doing some, you know, focus on a, a light, do something that works for you and just don't give up. So, um, what are some of your favorite tools from ancient wisdoms versus some of your favorite new tech tools for well being?
1: Okay, all right. So, all right, ancient wisdoms definitely goes to breath work, breath of fire, such a beautiful tool. Um, using light, so using a a flame, this is a very basic tool that I use, but I'm very much, um, into sleep optimization and, and how important sleep is in terms of our health. So there's a number of tools that, um, I implement each day, which would be if I really have to be on screen after sundown, I have a, a blue blocker on screen to remove the blue light but actually bringing myself um, into a more meditative or restful state earlier in the evening. And what I found really beautiful lately is actually turning off all artificial light and just going back to a candle. And Mm -hmm. the way that the calming nature of that is something we know via being the first technology is just, I just find it such a beautiful Um, tool to use and it's it's so so simple um connecting with others as well i don't know if you've ever done eye contact exercises but they're just really beautiful in terms of human connection and compassion and seeing each other and stepping outside of yourself and creating a space that's greater than yourself when we're moving into that greater awareness of community and how we interrelate to the people around us so there are a few things outside of um, what people might um, see as ancient wisdoms and also the really powerful one of doing this ancestral work that we were just speaking about I think that that's something that's being increasingly brought into our integrative well-being practices and um, I really encourage people to you know work with a practitioner who's experienced in that area because they're energetic value of that and and the personal sovereignty and then you really feeling like you're in your energetic power and not carrying things is so profoundly rewarding Um, and in terms of new tech uh, I work with flotation tanks I float generally once a week in a sensory deprivation tank for people who don't know what that is and it's in high density magnesium salt solution that has many benefits to our health and well-being. Um, I also am lucky enough to have a cryo center just down the road from me and um, the amazing thing about cryotherapy I found was when we were just talking about stacking is the first time I tried it I went with a friend who is also a meditator and we walked into the room and I just decided before I went in I'm just going to focus on uh, box breathing so just in for a count of four hold for a count of four out for a count of four hold for a count of four for the entire three minutes and we're in minus 110 celsius which is i think i could be wrong but i think it's like 135 minus 135 fahrenheit maybe okay. and and it's it's uh, pretty cold but i've got to say i actually don't feel the cold when i enter when I'm in that state of uh, that breath work takes you to. So that's incredible as well when you can actually feel the difference in your state in an extreme situation. The evidence is right there. Um, and, and they were actually pretty amazed when we came out of the room the first time, the, the owners of the centre said, oh, it can be a bit harsh at first until you get used to it. And um, the, the partner who was there, she said, these guys were amazing to watch. They actually just had zero response to the cold. So um, that was amazing for many reasons, but it also has um, a great impact on your physiological state. So I really love using these other tools as well.
0: So you're a biohacker.
1: I'm a biohacker. My favorite biohack that I would love to share actually is – in uh, the US, I think the Lucia light is probably the most commonly used. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, here, the one that I have at my float center, it's an Ajna light, and essentially it's a white strobing light that you um, you have your lay with your eyes closed and listen to music, and I've done a lot of experimenting. Um, with that on different frequencies. And so it's said that it actually activates the pineal gland and releases our natural uh, DMT. So depending on uh, what setting you're on, it's got a very psychedelic visual effect. Uh
0: Uh-huh
1: that I found most fascinating about doing these experiments on the different frequencies is that the more Earth-based frequency like Schumann was very intense, like our Earth-based reality, very intense colours and patterns But I actually started seeing in each uh, session that I was working with, very distinct patterns of code. And um, I found that interesting in terms of then thinking about our own code, and what it is that we're actually connecting with on a, on so it. being able to use these tools in terms of our physical performance and our mental performance, and then looking also at our um, at our consciousness and exploring that and the depths or the potentials of what that could be is, I just find it so fascinating.
0: Yeah, it sounds really amazing, and we could go on forever, but we can't. So <laughs> you have a free gift for our listeners. I do.
1: I have a gift for the listeners. Uh, uh, There's a link that I've provided you uh, with some mind clearing and energy recalibrating exercises there. So they're little meditations if you like, but they're all um, based between they all have a little bit of a different bias and they will have a different breath work type of exercise or a, a mindset exercise incorporated into them and, there's a little explainer on each of them when they access those as well uh, in in an email that will come through so that people who want to know the science behind how things work uh, can read that and some might not want to and they just want to go for the uh, for the listening and also if uh, if there are those in the audience who really just want to you know they're in a place where they'd like to Um, just get straight to the core of maybe what might be holding them back energetically at the moment then they're most welcome to accept an invitation for an energy igniter session with me and um, they'd be most welcome to join me and there's a link to a calendar there as well.
0: That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, We've been talking with Amber Ward who is a transformational mentor whose unique gift is matching people's energy with their mission. She's does some biohacking in there. She does ancestry clearing. She does all sorts of really great things that she's been telling us about. And thank you so much for joining us, Amber. My absolute pleasure. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for joining us today as we learned happiness hacks, relationship tools, how to refuel our resilience batteries and perfect our roar. Resilience, optimism, accountability, and resourcefulness, roar to win.